Hello and welcome to A Decade Apart. I'm Tim. I'm Calvin. And this is going to be a podcast where we're going to showcase the high levels of amateurness that we're going to be having on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Calvin, where, where are you at the moment? Uh, I'm just chilling at home at the moment, mate. Okay, what about you? Cool, cool. I am sat in my car uh, because that is the only place that I can get... Uh, Good sound levels uh, without getting interference from either Toby, who's my dog, or uh, the uh, the window outside, which basically backs onto the street. So, yeah, I'm sat in my car. I'm in the back seat of my car. I'll send you a photo. I thought, to- yeah, go on. I thought um, Toby was a heavy sleeper. He is a heavy sleeper, but it's 7am, so he's already up. So. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Good stuff. How have you been, mate? Yeah, not too bad. Um, it's a little bit tired. Like, we had... A rugby game against York Twos on Wednesday, which is a cup game. Okay. But like my sh- my shoulders quite badly hurt from that. Not too bad. Like should be able to play next Wednesday, but it's just way too sore at the moment. Fair enough. This is a perfect example of I probably played my last rugby game exactly ten years ago, and that's very fitting for <laughs> the show because <laughs> that is exactly the age difference between us. So don't worry, mate. That was probably your last game. <laughs> I'm just going to explain the format of the show. Well, we don't really have a format, so we're going to make it up right now. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> Calvin, you're into politics, right? Yes, I am. And I'm into technology. So what we decided with this podcast is to basically um, split it into two. We're going to do a politics section and a technology section. But we're going to sort of fuse those two together. So uh, we're going to talk about politics and technology from your perspective and my perspective. And then what we're also going to do is going to bring in a a third sort of element, which is the fact that we have been, uh, well, we're basically 10 years uh, apart in terms of age. Uh, How old are you, mate? Um, 19. Exactly. I don't know why I have to uh, say um before that. Like, I know how old I am. (laughs) (laughs) And I know how old you are too, but I want you to say it yourself, just just so the record, in case anyone's asking why I don't know my brother's age. Oh god. Anyway, I'm 29. So the thing is, we have uh, an interesting perspective between the two of us um about society, especially being brought up in I'm going to say um uh, different eras, but mostly the same background, right? So you went to the same school that I went to. Yeah. Uh, and you basically went to uh, Cable House, which is a primary school until it closed down. Um <laughs> and then you had uh, you, you had to go to another school, right? Yeah. Oh man. It did it it closed down because like the finances were just being yeah exactly exactly we're not going to mention oh, yeah. names here uh, on the podcast no. but yeah um my my good school yeah, good school exactly exactly keep it keep it keep it clean um and uh you then went to another school and then you went to the same secondary school as me and college right yeah exactly so we've pretty much had um the same i'm going to say environment um even though we were brought up 10 years apart um uh, Calvin had the immense challenge of having to uh, fill my big shoes, but uh, in every department, he pretty much exceeded them. So, well done, mate. <laughs> I was going to say, like, why, why are you taking a shot? Like... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just going to say right now, yeah, you, you basically did everything better than me and uh, you got in oh, everything. Mate, please. And then you, you had to you had to go and be the head boy, didn't you? <laughs> well you know like for the first three or four years of school like all the teachers who knew you still called me like your little brother exactly so, like, exactly it took like it's like years to remove like the your little brother part from out of the like my identity <laughs> you're, you're still filling my shoes mate you're still filling my shoes <laughs> that's the advantage of being uh you know 10 years older so everyone everyone thinks that you know all your greatness is actually my hard work so there you go <laughs> No, but full disclosure, no, no, you did, uh, you did a pretty awesome job on most of, <clears throat> most of your achievements, and uh, you're, you're still bossing it. You're at uni now, right? Yeah, uni, second year, halfway Good. through. Good. How are you finding it? Um, it's been more tough this year just because of I'm um, trying to do uni rugby. Like, but apart from that, like, just really enjoying it. Okay. Just need to get the time balance straight and get the work done. Okay. Look at you, all serious and. I remember, I remember when you were in college and you used to uh, complain about time and how, like, uh, you know, you just didn't have enough time. And I kept on telling you, mate, 
You know nothing. Uh, just wait. Uh, just wait till you I get. Had so much time. <laughs> you had. I fucked around with my time. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like. I'd play FIFA for three hours and complain that I have no time. Like I can't even do that anymore. <laughs> Oh god, yeah, no, exactly. And now, now you barely even get a PlayStation session, and you left it at home. Yeah, <laughs> left it at home because it's a distraction. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, mate, in, in ten years' time, you'll just be like me, where you'll build your own computer and then play GTA all the time. So it's all good. <laughs> so at the moment, I'm playing uh, not GTA. Actually, I have GTA. I haven't even played it yet. Can you believe that? Um, I thought you were playing it. No, I'm playing a Watch Dogs 2. That has taken up all my game time at the moment. Would you say it's um, better than Watch Dogs 1? Um, yeah, much better. Um, Ubisoft, who's the game developer, fixed pretty much all the all the issues with the game. So um, I think I think they've nailed it. They're really good. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Calvin, let's talk about the first topic. Um Let's talk about fake news, alternative facts, and tech companies. I think this is a good one because it bridges between politics and technology. So um, share with me your understanding of uh, uh, alternative facts or fake news. So I think like uh, the first time I heard about it, it was from Trump's press secretary. And it was the whole controversy about the inauguration attendance numbers. Okay. And so the media at the time, they were... um contrasting pictures between Trump's and Obama's and like clearly more people are at Obama's like that is just fact yeah <laughs> but then his press secretary came out and then refuted it as fake news and then the next day proceeded to talk about how he wished to use alternate alternative facts instead okay which I just <laughs> I know you can have alternative <laughs> facts in this universe but if that's the way we're going fair enough fair enough so that's the alternative sort of facts side. And then the simultaneously, I think, from the Trump campaign, there's this been this this term he keeps using whenever he hears uh, something he doesn't like from a news organization. It just blurts out. I think he called CNN a fake news organization. Uh, yeah, he um, barred them from asking questions. Of, I think it was his press conference last week. Yeah, yeah. But, where just all their reporters just got banned. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, is that um, this is funny because the genesis of the fake news sort of phrase came from the fact that during his campaign, um, one of the, I'm going to say campaign methods that maybe he didn't necessarily promote himself, but was associated with his campaign was fake news articles, making it onto social media and then picking up uh, steam, basically. Yeah. I think it was like, I saw an article about Facebook saying they were really worried about fake news because a lot of the um, stories which originate and are just fabricated, they usually came up on like just loads of people's Facebook news feeds. And yeah. then it's not like Facebook was verifying the information. So you see it and then if enough people think it's true, like the cycle just perpetuates itself. Exactly, exactly. And so the thing about it was that... Um, Rink Mark Zuckerberg came out, um, and Google to an extent came out, and Mark Zuckerberg said something like, uh, 1% of news on Facebook is fake news. And I sort of laughed at that because if 1% isn't, isn't true, and you think how many people use Facebook, so let's just assume Facebook has a billion people on Facebook, right? Uh, imagine yeah. if 1% of those saw fake news. How many people is that? <laughs> <laughs> It's not a small number, is it? I think like you have a billion. I think it's one point five billion people actively using Facebook, and then you'll get to like all the news pages, which would be like a couple of hundred thousand. Yeah. And then if one percent of those, are, yeah, if one percent of those are using fake stories, then it's not even that. If one percent of the Facebook, uh, you know, active user base is receiving fake news, then that's still and they believe it, yeah. and they believe it. That's still a substantial number of people. I find it, I find it hard to like hide behind the numbers. Anyway, um, so and then the other thing that Mark Zuckerberg did was he basically denounced responsibility for news because he said uh, Facebook was a social media platform uh, and Google to an extent was saying the same and so therefore you know it wasn't really their responsibility to steward um, what was good and what was bad and it was up to users to decide that for themselves what do you think of that? I think oh 
it's a clever move from their standpoint because if they go down the route of we're going to verify news then they sort of become something more than just a social media platform then you pretty much do just turn into like a news website where you have to verify other people's random stories using your own resources somehow which they probably don't have which they need to create so like from their move it's a clever part because it just distances themselves from the issue but this is the thing I, I, I think also I think that's Facebook sort of hiding or Mark Zuckerberg is hiding behind this sort of false understanding that Facebook and you know the likes of Google don't play an important role in deciding what I'm going to say most of the connected world sees as facts like they have a responsibility um, just because they are you know a platform where people can can share content doesn't mean they don't have a role to play in terms of making sure that the content is uh, you know sifted so that things that aren't real that aren't fake don't end up you know on the platform yeah I, I, they can't be held responsible for you know all of it but purely from a business point of view it's in their interest to maintain the high sort of quality of their network and so if they if they knowingly know that one percent of that stuff is junk and they're not actively doing anything about it then you know it sort of says something about the product not just facebook i guess um i mean because they do take a stance like that with certain issues so you had the whole um controversy about the vietnam war picture i think of like the naked girl yeah and they um blocked it throughout all of their website which people complained about yeah but they said this is the stance we're taking we take it against any type of picture no matter how reasonable like it may be for posting it because it's not meant to um present like child abuse or anything exactly and, but and, and that's i guess from their perspective if they went through the route of trying to sift through fake news as well i think the cost they'd have to implement and the time they'd have to put into sifting through all that news isn't worth the benefit of just having a credible platform yeah fair enough i mean the thing about that that photo is that and i think this is the case with um you you get a lot of uh sort of uh women's rights movements uh, also getting angry with facebook because women wants to women want to post sort of uh, maternity pictures on facebook and yeah. the, what actually happens here is the facebook algorithm uh, tags these photos as being indecent understandably obviously an algorithm can't tell the difference between you know what's uh you know what's a dodgy photo on facebook and um, yeah of course you know you know and it's the same thing with this vietnam photo i think the algorithm is what what actually stopped that photo from being shared um, but what they seem to lack is some sort of editorial control where yeah. there is just that one level of you know human sort of interface to check that what's going through the algorithm is actually correct and so you know they should be striving to say okay look um this kind of person is sharing this photo um they should improve the algorithm so they can understand the types of photos people are changing so if people want to share maternity photos or if you are a news editor and you want to share this photo um, which is an important part of history um, then there should be mechanisms for you to a dispute what the algorithm is doing and have like an editorial mechanism that can say okay yes this is actually okay because it, it ticks one of these boxes or it plays this important role but then also yeah. um there's the the other side of that where some people don't want to see this stuff in their feed however much other people want to share it you also don't want to put off maybe there are twice as many people who don't want to see these photos on their feed so exactly they need like controls on both ends editorial controls but also they need to empower users to say i don't want to ever see photos like this in my feed because this is just not something i think is appropriate yeah so i think that's an interesting one but if we go back to the to the fake news i think the the big the big risk i see right now is and i think this is also true with brexit which we might talk a bit about later is that somewhere along the lines in the last six months um news organizations have gone from being trustworthy sources of information to being openly discredited and openly uh, disputed by political figures um and they're losing they're losing their um i'm not going to say validity i think news organizations are valid still but they are somehow losing this level of trust that they generally enjoyed uh you know in the pre-brexit or pre-trump era and now anyone is you yeah. know politicians who used to be 
you know, cowards of the media are now just openly standing up in press briefings saying, uh, I don't like what you're saying. It's fake news. And the problem is these politicians have sway. They do. I mean, I guess in terms of personally, the only news organisation I trust for, like, credibility is just Reuters, <laughs> which is just, like, <laughs> pure facts from, the, from where all the events are happening. Because I guess yeah. before it was a case of where the politicians needed the newspapers a lot more, which I don't think that situation's changed, like, because newspapers, newspaper outlets can still have a big influence and in swaying public opinion, but I guess in the current climate with globalisation, some politicians just see news agencies as, like, another facet of that phenomenon, so yeah. they just see it as the wider problem, and they're just using it, they're attacking it to maintain their popularity base yeah and i think the other thing is is that news unlike what it was uh let's say a decade ago when there were like you know a handful of reputable news sources um it's completely different i mean uh buzzfeed is is the you know leading uh organization in terms of uh distributing and uh sort of disclosing some of the not so nice things about donald trump um, that was a. That's not really a, a, a traditional news platform, is it? Like, it's not your yeah. CNN or Guardian, and so you're getting you're getting sort of this. Um, you know, I mean, I don't profess to know anything about media, but I, at least from where I stand and where I see it, um, you're getting sort of the old guard, not really knowing how to stay relevant in in the modern era, and politicians seem to be taking advantage of that. They seem to be using that to discredit. Uh, these organizations and I, I think it comes to two things you have in the uk we had this um you know phone hacking scandal and i think that 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 was a it was a big dent in the name of certain organizations but broadly actually for media because what it did is what it showed the public that you know there are some bad practices happening in in the press but the problem is yeah. is that you know everyone perceived it to be you know happening across all organizations so it was really interesting to see that um, sort of that transition. These organisations need to need to sort of rein that back in. They need to they need to start establishing trust with um, their readership. Um, they don't have the same levels of loyalty as they used to. And so I think in terms of how this interfaces with technology, they need to they need to learn to reach out not just to you know their traditional audiences. But I'm going to say millennials as well, you know, the young audiences who are being swayed by these stories. Um, then, you know, the radicals who who do love to hear these things from politicians, even though, you know, the facts don't necessarily represent what these politicians are arguing. And I think it's I think it's a it's it's a weird time for media and, and politics and technology because the three are almost merging into some into this one playing field that is getting really messy, really dirty. No one wants to take responsibility for the quality of information. And meanwhile, people are being misled. We saw that in Brexit and we saw that in the Trump campaign. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, so, shall we next um, topic. move yeah. on to... Okay, so this is a story about John Burkow and his criticism of Donald Trump. So to set the scene, I think it was... House of Commons very early this week, either on the Monday or Tuesday. And I'm not even sure in what context he says this, but he pretty much stops the procedures, procedures for the day, or I think the procedures had ended for that particular section of the debate. Okay. And he pretty much criticizes Donald Trump's state visit and says that he's not welcome to give um, a state of address in parliament. I'll um, bring up what he said Exactly. Okay. Uh, so here we go. Yeah, so he criticized the US president for his past racial and sexist sentiments and said that he would not be welcome to give a state of address to the House of Parliament. Interesting. And now. Yeah. Sorry, what were you going to say? So, is the issue with this uh, his role in, in Parliament? So, he's not allowed to have an opinion, is he? Or is he? He's meant to be... So, traditionally, he's meant to be partisan or anti-partisan. So, he's not meant to show any favourability to each party. So, in a sense, what he 
Trump's done isn't wrong because he's not really going against party policies necessarily or party opinions because no real party has a definitive stance on what they feel about Donald Trump. But I think it's him crossing over that line of impartiality just in terms of state state matters, which okay. is what angered a lot of people. Okay. I know. What do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know enough about his role, but it, it seems he's the Speaker of the House, right? So he he de- he yeah. decides who's talking when, right? So exactly. it makes sense to me that the guy who sits, you know, and controls debate and discussion in Parliament uh, should be impartial, right? And if he if he has views, he can express that outside of the House, right? He doesn't have to do it in the House. He he, he can have his own... Yeah, opinion. outside of the House, he can talk about whatever he wants it, within reason. Exactly. So it's sort of strange to me that he'd choose the platform um, to suddenly to suddenly stop being impartial and, and, and take sides. Now, I don't know whether what he said was more of a Labour thing or whether it was more conservative or what sort of, like, what, what sort of side was he on when he was saying this? Well, because I think on both sides of the aisle... Both parties are showing a distrust for Trump at like the very least. Like some MPs are outwardly criticizing him on a daily basis. And if we go to like the traditional role of Parliament, Parliament is the Queen's sort of chamber. Like Parliament works for the Queen, like ceremonially speaking. Okay. So if the Queen has invited Donald Trump for a state visit, I think just as the Speaker of the House of Commons, you have to respect that decision and put your personal feelings behind you. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think, yeah, it's it's strange. You know, to me, to me, uh, and I'm going to say two things. You might you might be disgraced by one of these. Number one, yeah, he shouldn't have said uh, what he said. I think he should be impartial. But number two, uh, I I don't even know why it made headline news. <laughs> like, I I just genuinely don't understand why what he said was important this procedure they should just get on with it if he said something that is ridiculous um he should just you know procedures should just kick in automatically and they should just be dealt with like people do all sorts of outrageous things at workplaces and there's something called a, a disciplinary yeah and so either give him a disciplinary or kick him out of his job um but he said it he said it uh, now, okay, he wasn't being impartial, and the House of Commons is the most important, probably room of people, you know, in the in the UK, and or maybe they like to think that. But I just don't, I just don't understand why why it was such a big deal. Am I am I missing the point here, or I think it's um it's emphasising the discussion which was had straight after Trump won, where you have the issue of explaining. I think like. It was a generational thing where parents were having to, to like find an explanation to their kids of why someone who has been outwardly racist, outwardly sexist, and homophobic can somehow occupy like the highest seat in the free world. Okay. And I think this comment, it isn't really a big deal, but I think it's just perpetuating that debate again in society. Okay. And like, so I think it's not necessarily the fact that he wasn't impartial. I think it's um that he's bringing up a debate which we still sort of haven't resolved yet. Yeah. So I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know how you would explain like to a seven-year-old if someone asked me how could someone who says sexist comments be elected to the president of the United States? Like I can give them an answer. <laughs> you know, and you'd equally meet tons of people who dispute that fact. What you've just said. So yeah, it, yeah, alternative yeah, facts. Exactly. <laughs> 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 literally the most bizarre phrase I've heard in 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 2017. It's literally. I thought 2016 was bad. Like we've just started 2017 with I don't know what. It feels like Trump has been president for I don't know a year already. And it like I looked. Like, it's only been like nearly a month. It's not even been a month. It's like been three weeks. Yeah, two three weeks, and it's not, <laughs> and it's all going to hell. I think um. Not so much with Brexit, but with Trump. What I didn't like about his main campaign was just sort of the lack of distrust and like the despise for like expertise. Yeah. Like through running out through his policies, and now you're getting to a situation where you're getting daily reports from like insiders and congressmen who work around him, who is literally saying he has no clue what's going on. He'll like come off the phone with um 
a state leader. I think he was talking to um Vladimir Putin. Okay. And Putin mentioned one of the um nuclear prolific treaties, just about like reducing your nuclear arsenal. Yeah. And Trump just had no idea what that treaty was. Oh dear. Now, you take it with a grain of salt because as you said before, fake news. Like you have no idea if someone's just perpetuating that story. Oh yeah. Because they want to gain a climate of people distrusting yeah. Trump early on in his leadership. So Yeah. It's like a double edged sword, you can't really trust anything which you hear anymore. Yeah, that's valid. I think the other thing is that um <laughs> it's funny because the I just yeah, the balance the balance between news and news organizations are out to get Trump right and they are doing everything they can to just highlight how ridiculous uh, Trump is the problem is they're trying so so hard that we've already gotten tired of it and it's just it's, it's just glazing over everyone and you know yeah. even in the UK you had Michael Gove who famously said in his Sky interview that you know he thought Britain was tired of experts, didn't he? Did he not say something like that? He, he said yeah, that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So whether it's Trump or whether it's Go here in the UK, you know, politicians are just generally just, you know, having a go. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's causing it. Um, I think because um, traditionally it used to be like a, dis- a distrust and hate for elitism, which is perfectly fair because that is an aspect of society which needs to be remedied. But I think... Somewhere in the past year and a half, the ideas of being elitist or an expert have somehow been clumped together, okay. which I think has been the mistake. Yeah. So I think it was um all the Brexit projections, yeah. which were classed as wrong, wrongly brought up by the elitists. The thing is, they're not elitists, they're just experts in their field, like they're normal people. Like some of them are probably from a poor background and a lot of them probably aren't that wealthy. Okay in respect so i think it's like placing hate against the wrong group of people who like you actually do need in a society to function well because like you need you need expertise like in your government and around you like in your policy advisors you can't you can't just rule based off opinion yeah i think this is a this is this is a side effect of um you know uh, trump running america like a ceo would um basically you know, going on gut instinct uh, and not not really, not really needing to uh, fill. Oh, I don't know if CEOs actually do this, but they seem to. They seem to run their businesses like this. Not really, you know, being honest about you know the issues in front of them. How many times do you see CEOs making decisions where you're just like, what? And then, you know, a couple of years later, you're just like, yep, you shouldn't have done that. Like this, this is why, this is why your company went into the sinkhole. Except for this time, it's 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 Trump and he's running the United yeah. States. Or well, he's not even running because as it as it turns out, half his uh, presidential uh, what what are they called executive orders uh, just get keep getting turned over by judges. So he's yeah the um the travel ban. Yeah, executive orders probably going to a Supreme Court hearing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> all within the first month. Exactly. So you know, going back to John Burke, I think, yeah, I, I, I don't know, I, I think, I, I think what he did was wrong, but I, I really don't think that, I really don't think that you know, if if this was everyday work, yeah, if you were working in an office uh, in London or wherever you are in the world, right, and someone did something that was a little bit. Like he, it wasn't outrageous what he said. People weren't disagreeing with what he said. All he did was yeah, which I think is the issue. Yeah, all he did was he just voiced an opinion, maybe in a platform he shouldn't have. And how many times at work do people do that? And you just you know pull them aside and then you just say you know mate, you can't really make comments like that. Uh, okay, and okay, John yeah. Burkow uh, and an office isn't the same you know sort of comparison. But ultimately, there's a procedure there, and they should just be followed. It, it, I don't see why it's you know it's headline news uh, unless he, unless he actually did something like he gave preference to labor or lib dems or conservatives because they didn't share the same view now that's different yeah that is very different. i think um it's simply because he hasn't apologized for his comments and he's just defended them which i think is causing a news story to just drag on for a little bit yeah but the thing is is that like what do you expect him to do he's like he is he is right about what you say <laughs> like but i think it's not the question of the content which is the issue it's just like you shouldn't air that type of view 
in that particular time and place. Fair enough, fair enough. But no matter how no matter how credible the opinion is, fair enough. But for him to come out and say something I did was wrong would also be him almost discrediting what he said, and I don't think he's prepared to do that. How many people right now in today's world who, if they had a platform like he did, would take would take it to say something? You, you've got actors doing it. You've got Meryl Streep doing it when she wins an award. You've got you've got everyone who has the ability to take an opportunity to make a stance against what they see as like a threat to you know society taking it. And okay, he shouldn't he yeah. shouldn't have done that because his role he has to be impartial. But at the same time, I don't understand why people see it so implausible that he did that. That's very true. Like, of course, like you've got actors going on stage. You got, um, you know, in Hamilton, the play in America. The actors all came out and spoke about Black Liberty uh, before the play. You know, and 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 there were people in the audience who were pro-Trump. Now, now they didn't sign up for that. They went to see a show. But you know, pe- people in all walks of life are taking the platforms that they have access to as a way of communicating to people, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, social media. They're taking advantage of their reach to people so they can they can you know they can say these things but I'm not saying it's right i'm just saying i don't see why people are surprised that people are taking advantage of their positions of authority to speak out against trump yeah that's very fair yeah all right next topic calvin you've come across something about spotify yeah i think it's um spotify's issues with taking their company public so they originally planned to do it i think in the fall of this year okay. but now it's been delayed to 2018 and apparently they're gonna go into um, a cash flow crisis if it doesn't happen soon enough okay so the thing about <laughs> the thing is about st- startups like spotify they just hemorrhage money they don't they don't actually make money i i know i <laughs> i know you're in a family plan with me mate so we're paying for spotify <laughs> and i've never understood the economics of how like uh, full disclosure, I pay I think fifteen pounds a month for you, uh, yeah. Kasha, my, my fiance, um, and mum, and myself <laughs> to listen to unlimited music every month. So fifteen divided by four is what? Um, it's barely three, three or four quid per person. Math isn't good. That it's that it, good yet. It's barely three or four quid per person. Okay, and and the thing is, I listen to music all day long so there is no way there is no way in economic terms that paying for four four quid a month to listen to as much music as i listen to is making them money (laughs) i don't see because um twitter i think released this week how they've lost like a couple million pounds this last quarter of last year yeah they're also hemorrhaging money yeah like is facebook the only startup which has really been actually able to go public and make a profit so this is the thing um uh, this is where startups sort of live in this sort of unicorn land they actually call companies like twitter facebook spotify unicorns because they are companies that are valued uh, over a billion and yeah. the funny thing about them is that they typically don't make money at all even uber doesn't make money what happens is that they they get they heavily get sort of uh, pumped with cash. And the idea is that if you keep pumping them with cash, they keep showing the same promising uh, rate of growth. And that rate of growth is basically one race, a, a race to a billion, a billion dollar valuation, right? Uh, yeah. And at that point, once they've gotten that big, once they've cornered the market, once they're established, that's when you then start squeezing money out of them to turn a profit. Yeah. So Facebook did this successfully with advertising. Um, Google the same, you know, Google and Facebook are two examples of, I'm going to say startups that figured out what they were good at and quickly started monetizing them. Uh, and, yeah. and because they make money, the inherent value is partly what they're priced for, but then also the revenue that they make is, is like a validation that that, that model is working. Now, the second, you know, Facebook stopped making money, the valuation is going to go through, through, through the floor. It's just going to fall off. Now, the problem with Spotify is, They've never made money, as far as I'm aware. What they keep doing is raising funding. So they keep raising uh, capital uh, sort of funding uh, and seed funding, essentially. And all that funding is doing is paying for deals with record labels, right? But the thing is, is that record labels have figured out that I think that Spotify don't have 
the model to keep it sustainable. And if you take something like Apple, see Apple, Apple is a completely different ballgame because Apple Music, they're charging the same price, they're charging almost giving offering almost the same quality of service, although I'd argue that Spotify's uh, automatic playlists and algorithms are slightly better uh, given the geek I am. But anyway, you know, Apple is in a game where the deals that they can strike and the cash flow that they have can fund them up until a point where they're the only player. And Spotify yeah. doesn't have that. You know, Spotify has to go to IPO to raise funds. Apple is sitting on some ridiculous, like, 250 billion uh, cash reserve, okay? <laughs> so, you know, for all intents and purposes, and I always laugh when people go, oh, Apple's going down the pan. No, 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 no. You, you, you really don't understand. Apple could continue to make no money for easily the next 200 years and still afford to pay everyone on the payroll now for the next 250 years. Like... That is it's crazy. That is how ridiculous their cash reserve is. And so Spotify is in real trouble because they're going to they're going to IPO and when you IPO the the valuation of your company starts to basically be a factor of the stock market and it'll go up and down yeah. up and down and all it takes is one bit of bad news or one bit of bad result and then suddenly the money that you're supposed to be getting into your company just goes through the floor because investors don't have confidence. And I think it's interesting. It's interesting. I think I think Spotify, that's going to be one of the, you know, they, they still haven't proven that um, unlimited music on a stream works. Neither is Apple Music. But, you know, I back, I back Apple to sort of succeed in this game purely because of... Well, I think Apple will, like you said, have the benefit of the cash reserve. Because I'm just reading here that the main way which Spotify would need to become profitable is to lower the percentages that they pay for royalties to artists and then record companies. Yep. But then that's not going to go down well with the artists who already don't like the amount that they're getting paid of streaming companies. Yep. Yep. But I think streaming has become so big to the point where I don't think it can go back to the way the model used to work. True. So I think, I think it is like, I wouldn't be surprised if Spotify and... 10 15 years just didn't exist you see this is the thing and what i'm what i'm interested in is why haven't spotify gone down the amazon route or netflix route of creating their own content why don't they create their own record label where they don't have to pay I, these premiums i don't think that they're as diverse i don't think they can um attract the right talent to do that and isn't isn't don't you think that's ridiculous? Like the company that is best placed to stream music globally, they are they have the single best distribution mechanism for anyone who wants to release music to the world, without a doubt. So why aren't they capitalizing on that? Why is their primary model uh, people who want to listen when actually the killer the killer functionality they have is that they can you can put something on Spotify today and millions of people around the world have access to it minutes later yeah that's what they should be monetizing and that's what they should be taking advantage of they should be threatening the likes of uh you know sony emi these these large record labels that to be honest are still trying to cling on to the cd and you know album era where you went to hmv and bought records they're still trying Which doesn't happen exactly they're still trying to cling on to that even though it doesn't make them money it doesn't happen anymore and yeah they're just yeah they just need to like CDs. CDs for me have become sentimental. If I go out to buy a CD, yeah. I'm not gonna burn it onto my laptop or USB drive. I'm literally just gonna have it as a physical copy. So if the world ends, you've got like, <laughs> like I still have like twelve songs to listen to. <laughs> Mate, you could just burn them onto your Apple Watch and then get like a a generator so you can charge your Apple Watch via USB whenever you need it, and then you're done, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you're done. That, that's your post-apocalyptic uh, solution. Just, just <laughs> solution. Buy, buy like ten Apple Watches, just never open them, so the batteries like last you like twenty years. And then if you haven't yeah. if you haven't found something in twenty years, then you know you're probably dead anyway. So <laughs> it's um, oh, it's crazy how like from I think I started using Spotify early twenty ten. Yeah. I think you used it the year before. Yeah. Yeah. And like just how it used to be Mate. with just unlimited streaming for free. And I just don't know how like it had that sweet spot. 
Yeah, let's just let's just go back a, a few years now. Like, do you remember? Okay, this was used to be my workflow for music. Okay, uh, go down to HMV. I'd, I'd I'd browse the aisles for this obscure artist that I liked but no one else liked, and I'd find one CD in that section for my artist, right? And I'd be like, yes, yes, I love it. And you'd you'd, you'd buy that album, not because you liked the album, but because it was the only album from the artist you love. And how often did you used to go to HMV? Uh, I mean... Anytime I was in town, I went to HMV. Exactly. It was just like a month. Exactly. So remember where HMV? HMV, by the way, is Her Majesty's Voice or something like that. I think that's what it stands yeah. for. And it's a it's a it's a record store here in 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 the UK. And the HMV store in Guildford used to be on the way to the station. So it was like the de facto place to hang out on the way to the station if you had like two three minutes to burn. As well as Literally. an opportunity to play PlayStation and Xbox games that were... You know they've stopped doing that as well. I know they have. Yeah, of course they have. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think any store I know now has like an Xbox or a PlayStation demo. I've never seen one that works. Like, they never know how to set up these demos at all. Like, they're just like, they have a PlayStation there. It's sitting, doing jackal, and they, they can't set up these things properly. Like, ah, uh, it annoys me. <laughs> oh god but anyway yeah so you go to hmv you'd, you'd get your record right and and you'd get a cd and then on the train home you'd be like holding this cd like it's the love of your life you're literally like oh i can't wait to get a cd and then you'd be thinking right what's my process gonna be and this is where you and i will probably differ mate i used to buy cds so do you know what i could do what? i could burn them to my cassette <laughs> oh no do you remember i used to have a cassette player i, I don't think i ever saw it <laughs> do you still have it ah uh, no i don't i've been thinking of buying it again from ebay i got rid of all my cassettes ages ago but um i used to get the cd put it into the a hi-fi system you remember the one we had uh, because yeah. I didn't have a CD portable player. I, I am the one of these people that skipped mini disc, um, uh, mini, you know, remember mini disc? There used to be the zip one and these like yeah, stick that. MP3 players. I skipped all of those and I used the cassette. And all I'd do is I'd put the CD in, I'd press play and press record and I'd leave it running for an hour. I'd listen to it whilst the cassette was recording. And I had like... The most amazing cassette player. It was double-sided. I could skip tracks. It automatically knew where tracks were. It was as thin as the cassette, <laughs> which was, like, unbelievable. And I also bought one of these cassettes that was actually MP3s. So you could load it with MP3s and put it inside the cassette player, and it would play like a cassette, but it was actually an MP3 player. Right, <laughs> living the dream. I think, yeah, for me, it was... um. The mini iPod Shuffle oh, okay. and the iPod Nano, okay. which was like, I really missed the iPod Shuffle. If I had a Shuffle, which was integrated with Spotify, yeah. which I think already exists yeah. somewhere, yeah. like that is just the goal for me right now. <laughs> I have a Shuffle that I don't use, mate. I can give it to you. Do you have a Shuffle? I, I bought a Shuffle for the Amsterdam Marathon for about 20 quid on eBay, and I haven't used it since. Oh, what um generation? It's the one without any buttons. It's just a... Oh, really thin? Yeah, really thin. It's the pill. The problem with that one is it has no buttons. So you, what you had to do is use the headphones to control it. So you, Yeah, could I have that? <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to find it. I'll have to find it. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll ship it to you or something like that. I'll get it out. I'm not even sure if it works. I'm 100% sure it works because I bought it working and I haven't used it since. So it probably just needs yeah. a recharge or something like that. But yeah, I have one of those, yeah. Because the um, blue iPod shuffle mum got for, oh, I think it was my, I want to say ninth birthday yeah. or eighth birthday. Yeah. yeah, just stopped working after five years. Yeah. It was really sad as well. Mate, like midway through a song, just shut down. They're designed to last five years. Those things have hard drive failures. So this shuffle is better because it has an SSD. So you might be you might be better off. Um, See, like I I may switch to Apple Music just so I can download music and put it on the shuffle. So so this is this is where I'm really stuck because you know me. I want to switch to Apple Music, but I can't find a way of reliably logging what I'm listening to. So you yeah. know what I, I I log everything I listen to on Last FM. So since two thousand and nine, I can tell you pretty much every song I've ever listened to, and I've always used Spotify uh, because of that. And I used to have the Last FM plugin, 
on uh, yeah. that used to run on iTunes. Now, the problem with that plugin is it doesn't work so well when you're listening to music on your phone and on the go and when you're streaming stuff. So uh, I need to I need to get that in. And also, Last FM is showing signs that it's going to go through the pan. I, I don't know what's really happened to it, but um, I think Spotify look after it at the moment. But yeah, um, I don't want to switch to iTunes until I feel like I don't need to log my music anymore maybe i just need to get over that and just stop logging what i listen to and just enjoy music and stop possibly i don't know i think that's like the best bit about it like sort of the end of year thing that spotify yeah used to do really well exactly but like now they just i mean did you see the one they did for 2016 yeah the the, the... like it was it was just a playlist yeah i know i know but that mate to me that was actually the best thing um now i i do sort of think it's it's a double-edged sword they gave everyone their playlist of the best tracks of 2016. And what what is everyone doing in 2017? Just listening to that 2016 playlist. Exactly. <laughs> like, not listening to new music at all. That best of 2016 playlist is, is literally half of what I listen to at the moment because it was so good. <laughs> Same here. Because um, in 2015, they had your best of 2015 playlist, but then they run through all your favourite artists, exactly. favourite songs, yep. new discoveries. Yep. And then what they did was, um, I think, a year going forward, yep. and it had, like, a 50-tracks playlist of um new songs yep. that they think you listen to. Yeah, yeah. But I guess they sort of just um put that into Discover Weekly, exactly. which is actually still really good. Yeah, exactly. Oh, anyway, it was interesting. Um, You know me, I, I, I love my uh, quantified self. Uh, quantified self is, like... <laughs> Uh, where people basically track uh, specific aspects of their life and then they, they look at them again and go, oh, wow, look at me. I did 100,000 steps. Aren't I amazing? Um, but it's the same thing with music. We just, we just love yeah, to listen exactly. to uh, Yeah, so I don't know. Spotify, they, they need to make money. They, they can't just keep hemorrhaging it. Um, they need to find a business model. This is the thing about them. They've been <laughs> around for so long. I remember when Spotify started in Europe, right? It wasn't in America. So it started in Europe, and back then you used to have Wagamama ads all the time, like literally. Yeah. Wagamama must have spent their entire advertising budget on Spotify because every other song was like, "Oh, come and experience the life of Wagamama," and I was like, "To be fair, everyone in my ne- everyone in my year, like by 2012, knew what Wagamama was. And before you know, in Guildford, there was a Wagamama." <laughs> so maybe maybe that ad campaign worked, but. That that is literally the only ad I remember off Spotify, and and it worked for the Wagamama, but I'm not sure it worked for many other people, both for Spotify in terms of bringing money in and also, um, you know, users. And I don't know how they make money now when you use the free version. Do they still have ads or? I... Yeah, they still have ads in their free version. Yeah, so I don't understand. But um, you can't skip tracks. You can only skip tracks five times every day fair enough fair enough and then they just shuffle fair enough so the thing is the thing is i wonder what is how much would it cost for the average user in real terms to listen to music that's what i want to know what is spotify's bottom line like i pay i pay uh four pounds a month uh for you know my me listed music because i have a family plan with uh four people but for the average user who pays 9.99 a month how much music are you listening to? How much of that nine ninety nine is actually, uh, you know, is actually money profit that they they can take? Because I think I think the real cost of listening to as much music as I listen to is probably something more like twenty pounds a month. And so, like, if all streaming websites put up their prices to like thirty pounds a month, yeah, I think I would honestly just budget around that. So I just could not live without music. I just could not function. Exactly. But the thing is, it's the thing is that's not how it's going to work. Basically, yeah. what's going to happen is they're all going to stick it out until there's only one player left, and then they'll then then they'll do that. So, and and this is why I think Apple's going to win the game because look at look at a- Apple's. You're not going to outbeat Apple. And also, Apple, like Amazon, uh, has the opportunity to bundle the music with something else that maybe doesn't sell so well. So they can say bundle the music with music videos. They can bundle the music with access to apps, for example. Uh, Amazon, Amazon, I think, should be interested in this space because Amazon Music hasn't done too well. But what Amazon Music 
uh, could do, what Amazon could do, is acquire Spotify and then bundle Spotify in with the Amazon Prime membership. Then that would be yeah. a sweet deal because if you think about what you get for the Prime membership, you know Amazon's clearly making money uh, for, for, from that thing. I don't know how many people have Amazon Prime, but literally everyone who has it swears by it. And not everyone uses all the features. Not everyone uses the unlimited photo upload. Not everyone uses the Amazon on-demand video and access to Amazon shows, which, by the way, have been winning Oscars before Netflix shows. So, you know, that stuff is also good. Then... <laughs> Not everyone uses Amazon Prime next day delivery, which is unbelievable. Some people pay for Amazon Prime purely just for access to Amazon video, but not, not they get the deliveries by de facto, but they're not actually interested in it. So they don't know how to make, yeah. take advantage of it. So if you bundled it into something that was a bigger package like that, where there's opportunity for you to lose money in some places and make money in others, I think that would be the best model. But Spotify just have one model. And it doesn't sit anywhere else. They don't. They don't do anything else other than music. If they did uh, Netflix style stuff, then yeah, maybe. And but no, they're gonna die out. And even Netflix, actually, if Spotify was in trouble, I wouldn't be surprised if Netflix stepped in and say, "Hey, we're gonna acquire Spotify and then bundle a Netflix subscription to have video and music." That would be attractive. Then everyone would <laughs> it'd just be like you'd be a fool if you didn't have Netflix. Exactly, exactly. That would be the deal clincher because how much more does it actually cost to listen to music? And given Netflix, you know, Netflix can can distribute not just high quality video, but they do it all over the world in all different formats and in different ways. Adding music to that would be like a chip on their shoulder. They just they'd just do it in like it'd be like chump change for them. Yeah. Uh, anyway. That's interesting. Okay, so that's the show for this week. Um, Calvin, where can we find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Nguena1, spelled N-G-W-E-N-A, then one. Cool, and you can find me uh, on Twitter at Tim Nguena, which is uh, at Tim, T-I-M, Nguena, N-G-W-E-N-A. Uh, we're both on Twitter. We'd love to hear your feedback about the show. Um, this is our first show, so go easy. I uh, would love to know if there's anything you'd like us to cover, if there's anything you'd like to see. And also, I think we want some feedback about uh, how this first episode went. Uh, okay, Calvin, that's it. I'll see you, I'll see you in a couple of weeks' time. Awesome, mate. Speak to you later. All right, take it easy. Bye.